Good morning. Welcome to St. James. We got our uh, usual, this is our summer crowd here. It's our traveling crowd. I'm glad that you guys are here. I don't have a lot of announcements this morning. Just real quick to run over the schedule for today. Uh, Bible study after this. Uh, um, downstairs, kids are up here for their summer program. Uh, but th they'll begin downstairs where we're all going to hang out and uh, have some food and uh, spend time with each other. Uh, youth confirmation today. Parents, pick your kids up at 1245. Uh, new members class tonight at 6 o'clock. I've botched that time up several times and people show up at various times over 45 minutes. It's not very conducive to getting stuff done and that's totally my fault. But we are meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, ignore all the past wrong times I've given you. I think I've said 6.30, 7, 6.45. It's definitely 6 o'clock. Um, and it's right in the bulletin this week if you have questions. Uh, the, only, uh, the only other thing, was somebody, did somebody tell me earlier that they needed to make an announcement this morning? Okay. Um, we had some last week, but uh, not this week. Uh, Mark and Elaine have some zucchini and squash, some uh, extra abundance from their garden. out. It's uh, next to the door right out here on your way out. So they say help yourself to that after the service. I think that's all I have. Let's go ahead and stand and sing the opening hymn. Like 
continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Upon this year confession, I announce the grace of God to all of you. 
And in the stead and by the command of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. From Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Testament reading is from Isaiah 57. It describes God's plan to heal his people in the future, from Isaiah's future. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who was of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. 
for the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think verse 15 of that text is super interesting. There's two places where God lives. On high, over everything, completely sovereign and control the universe. But also with the lowly, with the humble, with those who are broken. Uh, epistle reading, James 5, 13 through 16. Uh, this is right near the end of the epistle of James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Okay, if I could have, um, and Ruth Thompson asked me to do this, so don't be angry with me, kids. If I could have the people from the youth group who are going on the mission trip this uh, week and the adults who are leading them come forward, it's, uh, don't rush the stage. (laughs) So this is forward up here. Ruth will do it. Ruth's gathering people as she comes forward. Thank you, Bob. So uh, this isn't everybody, but it's those who are here. Um, Ruth asked us to pray, uh, for all of us to pray over these guys. Uh, We're going to send them off this weekend, this Friday, to Minnesota for um, a week, and they're going to be in a church up there that they served at a couple years ago when they went up, and they're going to be leading a VBS uh, during the day, and then hosting a movie night, and probably doing some other stuff too. And um, whenever whenever people go out from here, whether it's, uh, you, you know, our youth who go on missions trips, uh, which we have college students going out on missions trips every summer, or uh, Pastor Lang, who is in Shenzhen right now, uh, preaching, it's like, it's us that's going with them too. It's not them going and we stay back here, but they go as a part of us, as a part of our family, And so uh, we're going to send them off uh, as a part of us with our prayers, and we're going to ask God to bless them in the upcoming week as they minister to people who who we don't know and will probably never meet um, this side of glory. But we will be ministering to them through the people that we've commissioned to send up there. So let's pray for these guys. Father, I pray for um, our youth group and for the adult leaders who are going up to Minnesota, and I pray, of course, that you would give them safety as they travel. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them and bless the work that they do in your name. Father, may it not be them primarily who's doing this work, but you, working through your Holy Spirit and through your word in their lives and in their words to accomplish what you want to accomplish here, and may your name be glorified and May the believers who are there be strengthened and encouraged. May those who don't know you, may those without hope, come to find uh, hope in you in the seed that's being planted in the next week or the seeds that are already there that these guys are watering. We pray that you would bear good fruit in their ministry. And not only that, Lord, but would you give these uh, people a taste of what it's like to minister in your name, to be in tight community for a period of time and to experience what you're doing. May what you're doing in the lives of others through them also be an experience that they themselves are experiencing of your power and your work and your glory. We pray that you would bless them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may return to your seats. And don't sit down because we're gonna stand up and sing, not sing, but we're gonna read the sermon, uh, the, the gospel reading. Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 8. Glory to you, O Lord. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, 
Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin no more. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. may be seated. So first, before we start, I, I, I want to say uh, thank you to all the people who helped out um, Friday with the meal that was served to the, the uh, Glen Carbon Village workers. It was, we had a, a really fantastic time, and a ton of people came through. And a lot of us did a bunch of work for this, mainly uh, Jen Weber, who put in a, a, a bunch of effort to put the whole thing together. But a lot of you made food, and a lot of you uh, we're here serving and talking to people and got really terrific feedback from the workers who were here. Uh, they all said it was really great and a lot of fun and they appreciated it. And um, we're going to do it again sometime, I can't remember the date, but it's sometime at the end of July. Jen will be in contact. And if you can be involved with it, it's a great way to, to reach out and let the community know that we're actually here not to feed off of them, but we're here to serve them. And it was a lot of fun too. So more on that later. Thank you to everybody who helped with that. Okay, uh, James 5, uh, the epistle reading, that's going to be the sermon text. Um, we're, uh, I'm going to back off for a few weeks. I think I told you guys this last week. I'm going to back off for a few weeks, the sermon series on the story of the Bible, um, because we've been working this year, uh, a lot of us, uh, you, a lot of you did this survey, and there was a vision team that got together and took the results of the survey, survey and boiled it down into a vision statement, and uh, we've been thinking about what has God called us to be in the community, and we've had help with LCF has sort of come alongside and done this ministry clarity process with us, and they'll continue to do that for the upcoming weeks. 
But our Pastor Tom Egerbrecht, who is our LCF guy, uh, encouraged me to take a break from the story of the Bible sermon series and preach through, preach about the vision statement that you guys came up with. This was not, this was not my vision statement. Actually, this is probably not the way, if, you, if I had just been sitting by myself and crafting something, it's not the way I would have said it, but this is the way that you guys said it. We did the survey, uh, we got together and had the meal downstairs a few months ago, and there was three kind of main ideas that came out of that. If, if for those of you who did the survey and participated in the, in the crafting of the vision statement, you'll remember that the vision statement says something about who we are as a church and something about what God wants us to be. And so, oh, I should just read it to you. I read it to you last week. I'll read it again. Together we have found healing and hope in Jesus Christ and welcome others to experience these same gospel promises. So what I want to do, and it's not going to be consecutive weeks because next, next Sunday we have Pastor Lang's brother, Pastor Josh Lang, who's going to be here preaching to us. And then um, I'm going to be gone at the end of this month and uh, we'll have uh, a guest uh, preacher there then too. We'll pick back up with the story of the Bible in August. But let's work through, there's three things in this vision statement that I want to point out. Uh, one, it has to do with who we are, uh, people who have been healed. This was a common theme that came up in the, um, uh, in the survey and in the conversations we had at the get-together. Uh, the second thing is what we want to accomplish, restoration. So healing is about who we are. Restoration is new creation ideas. Our goal, our prayer for Glenn Carbon is that God restores Glenn Carbon to the way he wanted it to be. That God would make Glenn Carbon a slice of the Garden of Eden. All right? Now, the third thing we're going to talk about is how we get there. And what you guys came up with, believe it or not, was not my amazing preaching. It was community. That was the thing that came out of this was our relationships in Jesus Christ together are gonna be what God uses. Now, different churches, this isn't like, well, this is the way it's gotta be. It's the way that God has gifted and, 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 and talented this church. Other churches might have different goals and different gifts, but ours has to do with healing, it has to do with community, it has to do with restoration. So I wanna talk about healing this morning. That's the first of these pillars from the vision statement. And when we talk about healing, it's just a recognition that we live in a sinful, broken world and that every single one of us is damaged and needs fixed. Every single one of us has some sort of sickness or brokenness about us that needs healed. And what you guys said is that you sense that St. James is the kind of church where that sort of thing happens, where healing happens. Now, some of you might not, you might be like, well, I don't know, it's not important to me. What I wanna do this morning is to convince all of you that maybe that's not the main thing that you would have thought of, but if it's what God has gifted us, let's make that a part of our future ongoing identity in Christ as we seek to minister the gospel in Glen Carbon, is to focus on seeking healing from God and being a place where people can receive healing, can experience healing. There's three different, um, uh, Dan Allender in his really fantastic book I recommend to you called The Healing Path says there's three bad ways to deal with brokenness. There's three ways to sort of hold healing off at arm's length and say, I don't really need that. The first way he says is fatalism. Fatalism says brokenness, sickness, and I'm talking about physical sickness and soul sickness, mental sickness, relational sickness. That sort of thing is inevitable. There's nothing you can do about it. All just stiff upper lip. 
you just got to like, you know, a chin into the wind and you've got to gut it out because there's nothing you can do about it. There's a certain sort of um, realism about this that says brokenness is real. It's a real big problem, but it misses out on, of course, on healing. It, it insists that healing's, it's, it's, it's not there. You just, there is no such thing as healing. You just got to like gut it out. The universe is out to get you and you have to gut it out. This try, I'm, so I'm bad about this. Like, I'm a huge Eeyore. For those of you who know me personally, I'm a huge Eeyore. I create in my mind worst case scenarios and I roll around in that worst case scenario with the thought that, like, if things turn out better, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But meanwhile, I'm super pessimistic. I just assume things are going to break and go wrong. I, I always, I, I said this a few weeks ago, and a bunch of you were like, that's me too. I'm just scared to say it out loud. Like, I just always assume I have cancer. I always do. And I'm not trying to be funny or flippant. I, I don't know if that's hypochondria, but I just always assume that when my kids go drive somewhere that they're going to get in a wreck. I always assume that when we go out to eat that the restaurant's going to be closed. I, assume, I always assume that there's something sick about me. And what this tries to do See, this is, why this is bad is because I'm, I'm real lousy to be around, but what this tries to do is this tries to normalize pain in a way that can manage it. To say, it's gonna happen, so it's just normal, and let's just learn to live with it. That's no way to, what that does, that denies grace. It denies the power of Jesus Christ to actually fix bad situations. Fatalism is a bad way to deal with brokenness. Heroism, this is the second way. This is also a bad way to deal with brokenness. Now, some of you are like, this is, is maybe a little bit like fatalism, but some of you are like, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I don't care. Let's go. Let's fight this thing out. I don't need any help. I don't want any help. I don't want any pity. Let's just do this. Let's just tackle things head on. There's a certain sort of like, okay, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's an admirable spirit in that too. But this also can be damaging as well and frequently is damaging. First of all, this, this type of person tends to not take their own damage seriously. They typically have pretty big wounds that they've had to fight through in order to exist in the world. And they, they no longer want to grapple with those wounds. They're just willing to let them sort of sit there and fester. And to ignore them, they become brave and strong. One of the worst things about... Heroism in the face of, um, heroism as an alternate to true healing is also, though, is that it, t it, it tends to minimize other people's damage. Like this, this type of person doesn't really know what to do with the people around them who are broken and hurting. Well, just buck up. Just don't take it so seriously. Or you, one of the worst things you can do when somebody, like you know that somebody else is hurting, to say something along the lines of like, oh yeah, I've experienced that too. You just get over it. You just gotta fight through it, that sort of thing. They don't know how to deal, this type of person doesn't know how to deal with people who are hurting. And so they, they'll, back, you know, they'll back off, or maybe they'll give them the tough love thing, you know, like tough love is I yell at you, and that's what I call love. There's really not a, love, a lot of love in it, but you say tough love because it makes you feel better. Heroism is no way, it's no way to grapple with brokenness either. The third bad way that Allender outlines is optimism. It's, you know, life gives you Lemons, and so you make lemonade. Again, like the other, the other three, there's a, there's a sense in which, okay, that's admirable, you know, trying to be happy. And happiness, too, can be a way to ignore, 
Just like pessimism, fatalism can do this too. It ignores the brokenness by normalizing it. Optimism normalizes the brokenness. It normalizes the brokenness by saying it just isn't there. I'm just gonna ignore, I'm gonna whistle in the graveyard. It's not there. Everything is happy, happy, happy all day long. And this can seem right. It can seem actually sort of faithful in, 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 in believing in Jesus, but it can be super damaging. So Angela um, would, uh, in the past, she would uh, moderate grief share um, groups at, over at Good Shepherd, people who had lost loved ones and would come to a grief share to grapple with their grief. And one of the, she's told me stories, one of the most damaging things that can happen in a grief share is that there was a person in there once who, you know, people are, they've lost children, they've lost spouses within the past few months, uh, and they get together, and then somebody will say, oh, I'm not sad at all, I just turned it over to Jesus, and I just trust him, and everything's fine. This sort of optimism, which is like, just ignore it, let's just ignore the pain, because that would be unfaithful, and I don't want to draw attention to myself, so let's just pretend like everything is good. And what that does is it crushes everybody down who's actually experiencing grief and pain and doesn't deal with their own grief and pain. But so let's just pray to Jesus and he's going to make it okay. They're in a better place. That sort of thing is super damaging. Some of you have, and I, I won't say who this is because I didn't ask them permission to tell this story. Uh, so I'll try to make the details as vague as possible. Uh, one of you has told me about a church that you came from where this was actually a deeply, deeply, this sort of optimism was a deep cancer within the church. Stuff would happen within the church. There was a, a story of a, a marriage falling apart and a betrayal in a marriage, a story of a suicide that happened in the church. And when that would happen, the people who were involved were slowly shunned, pushed away. Not out of any sort of like, oh, you're gross, or oh, we don't like you anymore, but that sort of pain is kind of ruining our vibe here. You know, we want to sing peppy songs and everybody be happy together. And when somebody comes in there here with their real brokenness, it kind of messes us up. It really, it really stops the flow. And those people, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like people agreed to do this, the church agreed to do this, but slowly but surely those people would be shunned and pushed away and silenced. And sometimes with religious language. Like, well, you just need to have faith. If you just would pray and trust God with this, you would feel better. That sort of optimism can be extremely damaging. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be optimistic. I'm not saying you shouldn't be heroic. But using fatalism, heroism, and optimism as tools to deal with your own grief and brokenness or others' grief and brokenness or physical, physical pain, spiritual pain, psychological pain, can be super, super damaging. Instead, it's a long intro, I know. Let's look at James chapter five and see how God wants us to deal with brokenness and sin and pain. How can St. James be a healing church? So let me read the, it's, it's short, let me read the epistle reading one more time again. Is anyone among you suffering? James asks, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, James has a lot to say about brokenness and sickness, all kinds of sickness and brokenness. Sin, from sin, uh, from fractured relationships, from physical, 
physical pain, physical sickness, from grieving. James talks about all of it. And you'll notice here at the end of James, he's not going to let us get away with splitting our brokenness up into categories. Oh, so we can pray for, for sickness, but sin, that's something different. No, it's, it's all just sort of blended together here, right? If you're sick, call the elders. They pray over the person confessing their sins, and God heals their sins. And for James, it's all together. Because James knows better than we do that our problems are one problem. We live in a broken, fallen world, and so we're sinful, but we also have mental health issues. And we also have physical health issues. And our relationships are broken too. And we're scared a lot of times. And we're anxious a lot of times. And we deal with chronic pain a lot of times. And we also struggle with sin. And all those things go together. And what we need is healing from all of these things. And so James talks about how can you receive these healings. And I want to give you two things this morning from here, just real basic. We're not going to talk about everything. Two ways that St. James can, that we can be a people who've experienced healing and we can be a people who offer healing to others as well. So the first thing is to receive healing, to receive the healing of Jesus. The source has to be the healing of Jesus Look down at verse 15 again. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will raise him up is an interesting phrase because it can mean, you know, the sick person is laying in a bed and the Lord can raise that person up out of the bed. It can mean that, but the word raise is most often used in the New Testament. This word raise is most often used in the New Testament to talk about Jesus' resurrection, not just getting up from a bed or getting up from a chair, but Jesus getting up from the grave. And what James is doing here at the end is he's inserting this story, the story of the God who became a human being in order to experience our pain, in order to feel all the pain that you've ever felt, in order to know what it's like to have a broken body, in order to know what it's like that you are about to die, that your mortality is just down the road, to know what it's like to lose friends, Jesus experienced all of those things so that he could be raised up, so that he could be healed. Jesus is, I mean, he's the great physician, but before he's the great physician, he is the one who's ultimate, the only one who's ultimately been healed of everything so far. Body, soul, mind. Jesus is the only one who's been raised from the dead eternally. That's who he is. And if we're going to be a healed people, we're going to have to go to Jesus. There's no sort of like psychological tricks to do this. Now you should, you should do your, you should get counseling. You should go see your GP. You should do everything that you can to experience good health. But ultimately, good health, whatever that means, only comes from the healed one, from Jesus, the great physician who himself has been raised from the dead. Our van started making a weird noise. Maybe some of you noticed. Uh, you might not even live in our neighborhood, but if we turned our van on, you might have heard it. It sounded like this jet engine whining. This happened several months ago, and it got louder and louder. In the first week that it was doing this, I, I, I thought, and this is, maybe this is stupid, but maybe you thought this too. I thought, perhaps this will go away. Like, <laughs> perhaps this van will heal itself. Or maybe some, you know, the, 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 the Honda gods will come and and fix this problem. And it didn't, of course. It didn't. Uh, I had to take it and get it repaired. But I thought it was interesting that that was a completely irrational thought that I had, like maybe this vehicle will fix itself. Why is it that we assume that healing, unless you're a fatalist, I guess, we, we, healing is on the table. Like 
Like we pray for this. We pray for things to be fixed. Even if, for those of you who are not Christians, you have deep within yourself, you have this hope that the world would be fixed. Even if you suppress it, even if you're like the grossest existentialist in the world. I don't mean gross in a disgusting way. Like, I mean, you're just the most committed existentialist in the world and you're like, you're like Albert Camus and you're like, bad things happen. You wake up in the morning, the universe punches you in the gut and you go to bed at night and you look forward to the next day, same thing. And then you die. Maybe that's your philosophy in life. But even you, somewhere down in there is the suppressed desire that things would be made right. Where does that come from? It only comes from the fact that it's been programmed into us as people made in the image of God, that that is actually on the table. It's a possibility that healing can happen. If you trace that line, that hope that you have, even if it's real tiny, if you trace that line back far enough, it won't be the Honda gods that you find back behind that hope. It will be the God who created the human body, who could heal the human body because he himself has a human body that's been healed from death. It will be the resurrection of Jesus that gives you that hope. Whatever else we're about at St. James, it has to be about the healed and healing Jesus if we're gonna be a healed people. That being the foundation and the given, how can we experience the healed and healing Jesus in our lives, in each other's lives, and how can we communicate that to Glenn Carbon? Let's go to verses, back to verses 14 and 15. It's a very interesting text here. Whenever you read this text, people wanna ask about what does this mean, the anointing and the laying on the hands and stuff. Let's look at it again, then we'll, we'll break it down a, a touch. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So we have three parts here to this process. The first part is prayer. Let them call the elders. They're there to pray, too. If you look back up at verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. James's main payout, though, is that the elders of the church should be praying too. And not just the elders, but the elders as the embodied congregation, as the representatives of the congregation. The whole congregation should be in prayer for this person. In other words, taking our sicknesses before God, saying, ultimately, we don't have the power to heal ourselves or each other, but God does. And so to take these sicknesses in prayer to God and say, we got sin, we got physical brokenness, we've got mental brokenness, we've got relational brokenness, we've got financial brokenness. God, will you please fix this stuff? That's the first step is prayer. Second step is the anointing with oil. You can see there in uh, uh, verse 14, what does anointing with oil mean in the Bible? Well, all over the Bible, oil is a symbol for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we, I could spend a long time like giving you examples from scripture. I'm not gonna do that. I'll just give you one real quick one. In Zechariah 4, Zechariah has this vision where the menorah in the temple is like brilliantly lit with oil and it will never go out because there's these two olive trees through pipes pumping oil into this menorah that's just brilliantly lit and will go on infinitely as long as these olive trees are pumping oil into it. And Zechariah is like, what the heck does that mean? And God tells Zechariah that here's what it means, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That this stuff, that the power behind the healing of the universe is not our strength, not our power, but by the Holy Spirit. And when you anoint someone with oil, what you're saying is, God, we're not just praying to you to fix this. We are expecting you to be here. We are expecting the presence of the raised, of the healed and healing Jesus to be here with us right now. 
That's what, that's what it means to annoy people with oil. By the way, 10 second commercial. Like we do this here. Like we've done this before. The, the elders have anointed people with oil. This is completely open to you. Now there are reasons why you, why, there are reasons why people don't like to do it. And one of the reasons is, is because it's intrusive to sit there and have a group of people put their hands on you is way uncomfortable. We're very uncomfortable with people being up in our business. And like a bunch of people with their hands on us is weird. One of the things we're trying to argue for this morning is that it's essential. And I want to save a little bit about, of that for the, the, the sermon I'll preach on community, which is one of the three pillars. But for right now, well, more on that in point three. Let's just say this. We need God's presence here with us now. That's what, the, pre, that's what the, the, the anointing of the oil is, is that God's not up there in heaven that we're praying to. God, up there, please look down and maybe by chance see us and do something. But God, you are here with us. You are here actually on this person, this sick person now. So it's about the presence of Christ, right? The third thing is the laying on the hands. And um, I, I mentioned this a second ago. What is that... What is the laying on of hands in the Bible? When do you see that most? Well, I'll, t- I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you when it's, uh, I'll tell you why James and his community is doing it. Because that's the way that Jesus healed people, right? Remember all the stories about the guys with leprosy? And Jesus would go, and what, he, what would he do? He would lay his hand on the leper and say, be well. Now, that's foolish. It's a contagious disease. You shouldn't be going and touching people with contagious diseases. Right? What happens when the healthy person touches the person with the contagious disease? The, people, the person with the contagious disease gets the healthy person sick. Not so in the case of Jesus. It works in reverse in, with the case of Jesus. When the, healthy in, when the healed and healing Jesus touches the person with leprosy, actually his healing goes into them and heals them. This is why Jesus lays hands on people. This is why we're called to lay hands on people. And even if you don't physically do this, right? I'm not saying you need to go around, you know, in Bible study downstairs and just start touching people. Although, if you, if you get permission first, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, but what does this mean? What it means is this. We, if we are going to be a healing community, and this is kind of the crux of the sermon right here, but all of it's coming together. God's the healer. Jesus is presence with us. This has to happen in community. And it has to be the type of community that's willing to touch the sick person. The type of community that's willing to embrace each other's brokenness and freely accept it. Now, when I talk to those of you who say, this has been a real good experience for me here at St. James, nobody has ever said to me, because I just needed to hear your great preaching, Aaron. Nobody's ever said that to me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking for that either because at this point it would be a lie if you did it now, all right? So don't try to flatter me now. What people do say though is I've had really bad experiences in churches or I was really, really hurt and I've never felt safe to talk about this. What? I've never, I've never felt safe to, safe to talk about my past sin before but here I feel like it's okay to let people have this, to let them know it and they love me and embrace me anyway. That's what we're doing. To lay hands on a sick person is to say, we're willing to take the risk 
of your sickness because we love you and we want you to experience healing. It's what Jesus does. It's what we do. Like I said, whether you put hands on each other or not, to be in people's lives and embrace them in their brokenness is the way that healing happens. Right, this, this is the gospel reading, right? The woman is caught in adultery. Okay, quick question. You don't have to raise your hands. Is adultery right or wrong? Adultery's wrong. It's a sin. And yet, when the people who are with Jesus and agree with him about adultery being sin come and want to stone this woman, who does Jesus side with? He sides with the adulteress. Now, does he run the risk of the moral majority saying, what are you doing? How can you side with sin and wrong? He, he does run that risk. But what does Jesus do? He defends the sinner. He sides with the sinner. He accepts the broken. Because the point isn't being right. The point is healing. It's important to be right. But the point is healing. Do you want your doctor to be fully credentialed, to have a medical degree, to like be up to date on all the latest procedures and methodologies? Absolutely. But that's not the point. The point is, you, you, the point, the reason why doctors go to med school, the, the reason why doctors do continued advanced training is, is not so that they can just trumpet the fact that I'm trained, I'm trained. That's the main thing is I'm trained. No, they're trained, but they're trained so that they could heal. And if a doc, so frequently our churches make this huge emphasis on we're trained, we're right, we have correct doctrine, that's the main thing. No, that's not the main thing. The correct doctrine is important, it's essential. You can't have less than correct doctrine, but if you have correct doctrine but you're not interested in healing, then you're like a doctor who's only interested in going to med school so that they can get the diploma on the wall, but not interested in helping people out at all. And that's a doctor that's not worth anything. And frequently, to be quite honest with you, our churches are not worth anything. We're like doctors who are unwilling to visit the sick. Jesus, Jesus knows that adultery, Jesus invented men's and women's bodies and souls. He knows that adultery is wrong. But at the end of the day, he is going to defend the sinner because that's what the good physician does. And if we're gonna be a healing church, we have to be like the great physician. We have to be willing to reach out and touch the sick, willing to take on their sickness, to be on their side. There's all kinds of ramifications for this. I'm gonna give you a little story real quick here. It's a very extreme story, and I'm going to hit you with this story, and I'm not going to say, so I'm not going to say that this is exactly the way that we should do things, but I'm going to hit you with this story because I think it's a good example, and I kind of want to shock us. There's a Ryan Gosling movie from several years ago called uh, Lars and the Real Girl. I don't know if any of you saw that, but it's a story of this uh, guy who lives up, uh, I want to say Minnesota or North Dakota, somewhere where it's cold, and so his mother died when he was very young. He has really, really, really bad social anxiety. His brother and sister-in-law who live with him, he lives in their, in their finished garage, and they're very concerned about him. And they try to like expose him to people, but he just doesn't want to talk to people. He's very, very shy, very, very turned in on himself. And he tells them at one point, I found this really, I found this friend. It's a great friend. She's Brazilian. She's a missionary. And she's home on furlough. And I want you to meet her. And so they're super excited. They're like, he made a friend. It turns out that this person is like an inflatable doll. 
and not a, not a friend at all. And he's fallen in love with this. It's a romantic relationship, not a physical relationship, but a romantic relationship. Well, they freak out and they, they're like, you've got to go to your doctor. There's something bad wrong with him. Let's get him to the doctor. And his doctor says, I agree, this is not good, but the best thing you can do is just to accept her. And so the movie, it's kind of a comedy, but the movie is about them and their community, including the Lutheran church they go to, accepting this weird thing that this guy's doing. Not because they think it's good, but because they want him to get healing. And the more, it's a comedy because they start like inviting her to do stuff without him and trying to like get him to, and eventually he comes to see that actually I'm loved. These people are so willing to embrace my weirdness that I'm loved, I'm loved. And he begins to say, she's sick and she's dying. And then they have a funeral for her and he moves on. And I think he actually gets like a real human girlfriend, of course, because uh, it's a rom-com, but weird sort of rom-com. I'm not saying that if somebody came in here with an inflatable doll that you should go up and shake its hand. But the question is, what are we as a church willing to tolerate in order to love people into Christ-centered healing. And we've, talk, we've talked about this as elders. Like, people, somebody comes into church and they act a certain way. What's the point where we say, what? Like, you need to leave the church. I don't think that points anywhere. I don't think that points anywhere. And are we gonna, be, are we gonna run the risk of people saying, you're soft on sin? Yeah, Jesus ran that risk when he sided with the adulteress. We're gonna run that risk. But embracing each other in our brokenness is the path to healing. It's really the only real path to healing. And at the, at the, at the end of the day, this choice between the Pharisees try to get Jesus to make this choice. The gospel reading actually says it's a test, right? It's a test. And what they're trying to get Jesus to do is to do the same thing that your culture is trying to get you to do which is to make a nonsensical choice that doesn't exist. But all of you now, all of us now believe it does exist because we've been programmed by our culture. And the choice is right versus left. And the right says justice is important. Truth is important. And they're correct. And the left says mercy is important. And they're correct. But where they're both wrong is where they say you can't have the one without the other. You have to be on our side, which means if you believe in Moses, if you believe in the Bible, Jesus, Grab a stone, you have to be with us. Or if you side with the woman, oh, or you know, if, you side, if you side with justice, that you don't care about people. And what Jesus is calling us to, what James is calling us to in this, in this commission to like reach out and grab each other in our sickness is to say, that's nonsense. Both of these things are true. You can believe in truth. You can believe in God's law. You can believe in righteousness and holiness. And at the same time, you can freely accept and welcome people. Because that's the, look, I know that there are a lot of people, some of you know people, some of you are concerned about people who have stopped going to church. And one of the reasons is, is because they felt, they feel claustrophobic in the face of this choice. That I have to choose. Am I gonna be a justice person or a mercy person? And many churches force them to make that choice. And if you fall on one of the other sides, you're, you're not welcome here. You know, St. James should be a place like Jesus where justice and mercy meet and kiss. 
And that's how people get healed. When people sense that they're accepted, that they're loved, when, when people tell you about their deepest, darkest secrets and you do not bat an eye, but you love them and embrace them anyway while rooting for them to get forgiveness and healing for that. Not, not saying it's okay, but rooting for them to get forgiveness and healing for that. That's where healing happens. It happens in community. It happens when people are gathered around the broken. I need this. I need this from you guys. I need you to gather around me and put your hands on me and say, Aaron, we're not afraid of your sickness. We're not afraid of your sins. We're not afraid of your brokenness. We love you and we want to heal you. And when you do that, you will be Jesus for me. St. James should be this kind of place, this kind of place that models Jesus, this kind of place that's eager to be right, but right for the purpose of healing. To be like our great physician, to be small P physicians, to experience the healing of Jesus and to pass that on to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for healing us. Please continue healing us. Make St. James a place where you, the great physician, is active and at work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and for being a good God, and thank you for your promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for your promise that you are going to rule and reign over the whole world. Thank you for including us in this as well, Lord, and you know that we are part of the problem, that we are part of the brokenness that needs healed. And uh, We thank you for um, forgiveness of sins and for the rescue project that you've started in our lives and for including us in your project to rescue Glenn Carbon as well. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you for and ask you to continue to bless the ministries that you've given our church here. And especially this morning, we pray that you would bless uh, the Madison County Schools uh, Mercy Ministry that you've given to us and Sandy Hall, who helps lead that, that you would continue to provide for the physical needs of the students in our county who um, uh, sometimes don't have good meals to eat that uh, lack basic necessities. Thank you for the privilege of showing uh, your love to these kids and these families. I also pray that you'd be with, uh, in our missions, that you would be with uh, the seminary food bank that we support and that you would continue blessing our seminaries and raising up um, men and women to serve us, uh, to serve you by serving us, and uh, that you would uh, bless our seminaries with strength and with uh, power and with the right faculty that you want for them and the right students uh, for our churches and our schools. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray that you would bless the churches in our area, and we pray that you would bless our sister churches this morning, especially this morning we pray for Zion Belleville and uh, pastors there, Chris Spellbring and Josh Kentz, and that you would bless them as they minister your word to people and uh, uh, serve your sacrament, and that you would grow that congregation in faith and hope and in trust in you, and that you would be with all of the gospel preaching churches here in our area, and you know that we all long to see your kingdom grow, and just give us the, the pleasure of being a part of it and of getting to witness your work together, getting to witness your work as you conquer Glen Carbon and Edwardsville for yourself. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these things, Father, because you're a good God and because you delight to hear our prayers, and um, you're not put off at all by our brokenness, and you're not scared at all of our sicknesses. And you're not intimidated at all by your sins, but your love and your mercy and your power is big enough to heal all of these things. And so we commit them to you, Father, and we can only do that because of the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. This is in your bulletin. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. 
And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord our God, King of all creation. For you place the salvation of the human race on the wood of Christ's cross, so that where death arose, life might again spring forth. And the evil one who conquered on a tree might likewise on a tree be conquered through Jesus our Lord. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. Let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
please stand. Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. James is right. Healing only happens in the context of community. It's the only way they can have it. Don't be an isolationist. You can start right now if you haven't, or you can continue right now if you have. Making connections, building relationships, talking to each other. Go in peace.